Hello, I'm Chris Sidwells and in this Cycling Legends feature show I'm going to look at how a pro cycling team is put together. I've chosen a British UCI Continental team that's a bit different from the rest. Like many teams at this level, it was born out of passion and runs on the same fuel. But it also has some good ideas about sustainability at a level of cycling where sustainability has always been a problem. At World Tour level, there have been teams of dynastic proportions. Teams that, although they might have had different sponsors through their life, are essentially the same entity. The daddy of them all was the Peugeot team, which started out in the early 1900s and existed with various co-sponsors and even changes of headline sponsor to end its life as Credit Agricole at the end of 2008. And there are others in the world tour today that, if not the same entity, have the DNA of older teams. I'm thinking Quickstep and its link to the Mappe team, or Jumbo Visma and TI Rally in the early 80s. But at levels below the world tour, there is a constant churn of teams, people with ideas and sponsors who come and go. The team I'm using in this case study, St Piran Pro Cycling, is based on a model of sustainability that could be a template for other UCI continental teams, and maybe even has some lessons for the world tour. Let's find out more. The first person I'm going to talk to is the team principal of St Pyrrhon, Ricky Pascoe. Welcome, Ricky. How are you? Uh, Chris, I'm very well. Long time no see. Uh, yeah. And um, I mean, I used to live in Cornwall and you met you then. And um, you wanted to create a pro cycling team when I first met you. It's going to must be getting on for 20 years. Tell us the story. I mean, what was your, your drive then? And um, now you've got a continental team that's rode the Tour of Britain. Fill us in quickly with the details of what, how that's happened. Yeah, I, I think that I think that if you know bike racing, whether you, you whether you've grovelled in the gutter, you know whether you've been to a race, if you've been on the inside as a rider and, and seen how teams have run, you get an idea of maybe how you think a team should run. And I think the DNA of it started a long time ago. Uh, you know, I was a first category rider in the UK when there was only maybe 40 of us. And we, we had something called CC Poland in Lancashire when I was away at university. And that had some, some good points, good DNA. So even though they were first cat riders, you know, it was, a, it was a good program as such. But we kind of made the riders also officiate in events and put back in yeah. and organise. So we got an idea of, of, of what it took to make something other than just a team. And then on leaving, I, I kind of set up with a few others, something called Team Southwest, which was effectively a bit like um, a, a centre of excellence, which British cycling back in the day, instead of having a central point, used to have centres of excellence. And your international duty was selected from that. And um, in, to- in Team South West, you know, briefly we had Cav and Bramier and, 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 and Dan Martin even that yeah. the, the rode for us. Yeah. So you, you came across talented riders, but, the, you know, the difficulty with those two is that, you know, I, w- I was very young and perhaps inexperienced. And then if we race forward over, you know, the last last six years, St. Perrin is basically, I've seen so many mistakes. It's yeah. about the embodiment of how to do something perhaps well with some really key words like sustainability. And there's no, you need a sense of place. And, um, you know, it's the patron saint of Cornwall, patron saint of tin mining. So we've got a, 
a yeah, name. St. That... Pirin, I'll just explain that. St. Pirin. Yeah, yeah. From St. Cornwall and, and tin mining. Yeah. yeah. So, but, so then, you, you, you know, you're riding, if you like, for a jersey, you know. And how often we get fed up with football players kissing the badge, you know. <laughs> next year they're playing for somebody else. And the year after they're playing for somebody else. But, um, you know, a sense of identity with some ideas around some sustainability and, and branding, as I call it. And um, getting people to race with a smile on their face, Chris, you know, I think that's, you know, that was the key to St Piran. So, and it's all, it always will be St Piran because one of the weaknesses that several team managers said about this is that pro teams, although they are essentially Manchester United, they are uh, Chelsea and whatever, you, you can't identify them with them. I mean, I'm just writing a book about T.I. Rally and in a way, Jumbo Visma today is T.I. Rally. It, it, yeah, yeah. But it's, you wouldn't know it. People don't know in the history because the, the continuity is not there. But there's a direct yeah, think, line of the DNA. But with St. Piran, you think this is a good model for proceeding? The, the principal <laughs> name is, is the thing that will always be. So you've either got to have a mad project, deep pockets, big ego, or yeah. maybe an idea of how not to do things. And we're probably a bit of a mix of all of them. I guess. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, there's a, the weakness within our sport, and, you know, we can talk about, you know, there's no television rights, no money coming down from the top, and then yeah. you're selling space on the jersey, and it's then hard to keep 20 sponsors happy, Chris. You know, in, in this modern age, it's all social media and meetings, and, and it, it pulls apart what really is a team. So, and then if a sponsor moves or jumps you know the identity's got to change you know next year and, and in our way in our small way things i think have to change so if you've got fan engagement and it can identify with you um it, it enables us to talk to a lot of people yeah. and we're ubiquitous as well so we don't just favor for example hsbc the outgoing sponsor of our <laughs> british cycling you know we you know we can talk to barclays or HSBC or because literally we don't favor one sponsor, one segment. But Chris, it makes it a harder initial sell. I bet it does, yeah. I mean, I'm going to get onto funding. You've got this lovely name in St. Piran, but that doesn't supply money. You need money for a team like yours. I might even ask you how much the budget is. Where does that come from? So you you hear lots of things in the media and and I have a lot of empathy for for team owners, especially in this in in the UK, you know it's 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 a labour of love, you know. Initially, you know, so you know Tim Alverson, you know at With is now, and um, you know the, the guys that you know Trinity are okay with Andrew McQuaid, and you know Ribbon are doing their thing. It's if you went to go out and buy a continental team to operate at our level. And you had no experience in our industry, you'd probably spend five, six, seven hundred thousand pounds. Right. You've got to buy the vehicles, you've got to have the bikes, you've got a relationship with sponsors, websites, whatever. You if you're smart with it, you can cut that cost down. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, we've been exceptionally smart at that. Um, you know, it, it's not well known. I put my own money in. Um, I always say there's no pockets in shrouds. So, <laughs> you know. You choose perhaps what you do, but what we've done is, I, I gave it five years to become sustainable, yeah. and we've hit the markers for that. Yeah. Um, 
you know, the last two years have made things difficult. We do things in a different way. I'm not saying everybody else is the way you should do it. I'm just saying it is a way. And, um, you know, we've been very successful in, I say, building a framework um, off the bike. That framework has got to be, yes, your vehicles. Yes, it's got to be your websites, what they call your intellectual property. Um, but you, you, you've got to look after the riders uh, and give them maximum, um, I don't know, potential opportunities. I pay my senior riders, you know, which is quite rare. Yeah. So, you know, in our, our game, our young riders don't get paid. And I think that's a mistake or, a, or you know, anybody that's under 23 that's that's riding a bike for 15 or 20 hours a week, you know, deserves something for that. Yep. Um, something we're aiming to change. Um, but it, it, it's a it's a go to position rather than where we are. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's you've either got to have. And you'll never find it, I don't think, at, at Conti or Pro Conti level. You, you'll never have, you know, a, a world-class sponsor suddenly say here's, you know, 15, 20, 30 million pounds. It's, it's, it's not going to happen. So, you know, I think we have to do things in, 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 in different ways. So do you have classic sponsors? Do you have businesses that back? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. So, you know, people ask me, what's the mix? <clears throat> Our biggest, I say, the call to action is that we've got the, it sounds awful saying it sort of publicly, but we've got the largest outreach, you know, of any team at our level and teams above us at Pro Conti level, and that's all measurable. So people pay for that outreach. Right. We have um, partners. Uh, we have sponsors. Yeah. So you know, we, we've got a bike sponsor in Lapierre, which is which is very rare these days. You know, uh, we've got clothing sponsors. So we've got a lot of our a lot of our hardware is is, is taken care of and. More recently, we've been very lucky with um, some partners put in smaller amounts that are aligned to our business values. Um, yeah. So that's cash as well. Yeah. Um, and then we have, you know, our fan engagement, whether it be crowdfunding, buying the merchandise, which is huge. You need one of our bobble hats available at twenty five pounds. Right. We'll get you. <laughs> we'll give it a website to plug so people can buy a bobble hat. Uh, yes. Yeah, you know, I, I joke about that, but you know, it's it's the identity. It's on it. It's the identity, perhaps, with the team that makes yes. people feel really good. Now, this is where we've been clever. You know, we we currently have two riders who were born in Cornwall. Yeah, we don't have any riders who live in Cornwall currently on the team. Right. So essentially, we we you know we've got this great brand. And, and, and effectively, we have 16 riders on the men's UCI team. We can come on to the women's team in a minute. Uh, that that live all throughout the whole of the country. You know, they're nearer to you, Chris, than they yes. are me. Yes. So, so we've been very good at, at you know engaging riders from the rest of the country, but keeping our identity. Brilliant. And you are you able to do it? You do a social media thing for your sponsors, don't you? So you're you're reaching out. Um, to give them some purpose. yeah it's a it's a very active very changing landscape now you know we do everything that, that we can you know all the all the basic sort of social media you know networks and so on and so forth and you know everybody's got our, got the place right so you know people like yourself that are you're the oxygen you know within the within the cycling game you know we we need the podcast but we need informed podcasts you know we don't need we don't need clickbait. No. You know, we definitely 
you know, and I think there's going to be a long-term harmonious relationship between, you know, journalists or media, of, of which we've had. And I must say to your credit, Chris, you know, we can say things to you above the line of below line and have been able to do for 25 years. And you and you respect our position on that. Yes. And that's yes. built an element of trust, which is why, you know, we jump on a podcast today and answer some of the questions probably a little bit more openly than maybe some do. I don't know. <laughs> well, you, you know you're with a friend. Um, <laughs> the, the, I mean, this is a big year for you, isn't it? Because what, what, in your five-year project, what year are you on now? Yeah, so so we, we've gone through we've gone through five. This is this is really year six, yeah. um, which was the year I, I was. You know, turning Conti is a big thing. You know, and um, you know, you, you whether you whether you whether you like that in the UK or you moan about the status or whatever, it's it's the top of our domestic um, yes. platform, right? Yeah. And um, you know, the, the real top guys, maybe six or eight riders in the country, will already be on. World Performance Plan, yep. they'll already, already be riding for, you know, Pro Conti or, or World Tour teams. So you, you, you miss the top eight riders. Um, so then, if you like, we've got three or four teams that are trying to cater for the, for the next 25 riders in the, you know, in the mix. Um, but you look at those riders and actually the six or ten riders that are very, very handy at, at, at quite a high level, you know, of, of which a couple are bouncing back up to you know world tour or going on to world tour so we are a we are a stepping stone you know we we, we are very much that um but we try and keep people in our family so even if they move forward we, we, we try to highlight where the riders are or what they're doing or if they retire and get a job we, yeah. we want people to feel good about the investment that we made in them yes. you know and, and hopefully there is a payback um somewhere down the line yeah. i think they call that karma don't they is that karma? Yes, well, karma, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I'm just waiting for it yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it's out there. Uh, you've got Gab's colour this year from, from coming from the World Tour. And uh, I think he's going to be... Is somebody having like somebody like that in the team, is that going to be beneficial because he's experienced... Uh, I, I think it's... Oh, for sure. If we look across the team, I mean, we, we've got riders with great domestic experience and, it, and it's part of our currency isn't it every year we 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 seem to be improving and i think we took a, a big leap this year we probably if i if i'm telling it as it is we probably went on quite quickly this year yeah maybe in my own mind you know our 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 rider selection is probably two years too early but the opportunities came for us yes you know the riders you know they do the rounds they chat to every they chat to every team you know and you know, those that are happy with us, you know, I mean, Gab's, you know, what a great young man. I mean, he, uh, yes, he's got a lot of potential. Potential. All we want to see, you know, is a smile on that rider's face. You know, you imagine that as a ruler, sprinter type, the fact that he goes to a Spanish climbing team. Yes. You know, so where's that going to fit for him? So, yeah. but, you know, when, when when the big world tour opportunity comes knocking, you're just going to take it, right, Chris? You're going to go. Of course. You know, but the further you go up in this game, the more you realise there are horses for courses. There are teams that do things in a particular way. And we've got a really good flavour this year. It's, it's, you know, we haven't said it publicly, but, you know, we're, we're more sprint train focused this year than perhaps you know, ever before. You know, we've got Steve Lampier, who's 
you know, he's earned his stripes in the in in the UK. You yes. know, he, he's gone through the school of hard knocks. Yes. You know, he's running the team on a on a day to day, week to week basis. We got a <laughs> another Yorkshireman. <laughs> we got um, Liam Hollihan, performance director. You know, yes. we're, we're employing a performance director, which really doesn't go with the level of status that we are. That that's normally reserved for world tour teams, but. You it know, shows your, your amount of investment in people, doesn't it? It's it's, a, it's an example of your investment in people. Uh, it, investment means some payback. I mean, <laughs> you know, I think. Thank you very much for saying that. Yeah, yeah, we are investing in people. You know, and I want to always try and. You know, what I hear from riders, and if you want your publicity for the podcast to go up a little bit, you know, I always hear, "Oh, I want a great program." You know, I want to ride twenty-five UCI events a year, and you think. Hello, Ryder. How many rents can you actually peak, peak for next year? What can you guarantee for the team? Yes. Are we looking at three? Are we looking at four? So why are you demanding a great program to give you the opportunity at a higher level than perhaps, you know, maybe you are not capable of? And even if you are capable, you need a really good team to, to operate at that, at that level. So we want to turn it around a little bit and go, what can we do for you internal to the team? Let, let's, let's give you one or two really good UCI races a month. You know which we do, uh, but let's get the most out of the riders. I've got a riders in, in the team. Certainly found out last year that, for example, at our level, can't go back to a team car, collect a bottle, and go back up to the peloton. Yeah, and, and this is a professional team, right, Chris? Yes. So yeah. you know something in the learning or the or the pathways that these young guys in the UK have taken suggests there's elements in the learning. We've got to be able to fill those, and we do. So, you know, we concentrate on, on working on that. These are the things that you don't see when you're looking to choose a team or go to a team. And, you know, within that, then you need your performance director you, who, who oversees you, the coaches. You know, you need a tactician. You need a team manager. You need good swannies. You, you know, you need drivers. So there's quite a bit of investment to make sure the riders come first. And I always say in any interview, my job, is to put a rider on the start line. That's yeah. my job. Yeah. Here's your bike. Here's some great kit. You put your shoes on. Over to you. And we mustn't lose sight of that. We mustn't lose sight of that. What's and um, my final question I'm going to ask you is, what's your long term objective? What do you get from this? What I mean, not your long term objective. Why are you doing this? Because you've been doing it for twenty years, and you you've been completely sort of all single-minded in pursuing this, uh, uh, sometimes it may have seemed unlikely. Why? Yeah. Um, you always see these quotes on social media, don't you? Like, you, you? The only regret is not doing something or something like that. So I think there's an yes. element of that to it. Yes. I think opportunity comes along. You know, so, you know, you know, Gabs is looking for somewhere to ride and, you know, we provide that opportunity. You know, you're just going to go, irrespective of the results, there's the opportunity. You've got to kind of, as we get older, statesmen and and Chris, the same with you and myself. None of us own this sport. We're no. custodians, and you know, for custodians, let's try and do something the right way. Okay, we might not, we might learn how to do something the right way. So, so the answer really is, there's a degree of satisfaction knowing that you can put something together that very few few people have. It's easy to be a team principal if somebody gives you the money, Chris. Yeah. If somebody gives you a budget, yeah. anybody can spend anybody else's money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Easiest job in the world. Um, 
It's like it's easy to so be a DS if you've got feel- the best rider. Exactly, um, exactly, and and you know we we worked with the quality of ride, riders that we've had. You know, I want to say that we were a UK elite team for five years, and I wanted to become the best UK elite team that we could. Yeah. And I think we did. Yeah. You know, and you know that jump is is massive, and but I took with me essentially an elite team. I yeah. didn't import new riders, so the one quality that I wanted to lay out there is. Loyalty, a very rare commodity in cycling. You know, mm-hmm. we were loyal to those riders. We ran with those riders. And, you know, some naturally found their ceiling. And there's some great riders that have gone on to, you know, other teams this year, you know, that, you know, I've had some of the most amazing uh, thank yous and genuinely heartfelt, you know, opportunities of riders that said, you know what, I've probably reached my level. I'm going to, you know, I, I can't go on on the onward journey. So, that's real success, Chris, is when somebody finds their maximum and we've been loyal. Longer term, I've got a five-year plan now. I was sat in the car at Tour of Britain and thought, that's it. We've done it. We've arrived. Yeah. And then you realise it's not the end of the journey. It's the beginning of another one, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes. Yeah. So, so I want the satisfaction to come from the people around us that are doing a great job. The people involved with it, you know, I want you to, you know, when you pick up the phone, you feel good about what we're doing. Yeah. So, you know, I keep saying it's everybody else's team. You all share a part of the success. You've given us time, airtime. You know, you you viewed our or aired our viewpoint. So, we're all winning. We're all winning in this. You know, there's too many examples of bad practice. And yes. once you get a little bit older, like we are, you you know what bad practice looks like, right? Yes, yes. I mean, I was. It's so refreshing to talk to you this afternoon. So I was talking to a World Tour um, DS uh, this morning, and he said about how at that level it can be. They don't. They're not investing in riders like they should. And he was saying they had a, a conversation, and this this uh, other manager, other DS, said to him, "Well, we don't invest because in two years they could go to somebody else. So we're just giving somebody else." And now that's. That's the cynicism at the top, if you see what I mean. So it's so refreshing to uh, to speak to you, who's actually doing it. For, you're doing it for the poetry of it, aren't you? And the love of it. I, I, I guess so. People. I, 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 I guess so. What's really nice, when you're a team owner, you mix with these other team owners now, right? And it's really yeah. weird, you know. And we, we had, last year in the Tour of Britain, you know, genuinely, Cav said, solid ride. Julian Alaphilippe said, solid ride. You know, we didn't want to embarrass yeah. ourselves, you know. Yeah. We didn't, and, and that came as heartfelt. And then we had World Tour managers and DSs respecting, because we're doing it our way, and it is actually our money. They've got to put a little chitty in to buy a to buy a coffee machine. It's yes. not theirs, yes. you know. So that's hard, you know. And they have, it's a brutal world, yeah. You know, it's a brutal world at, at Conti level, you know, yeah. and Pro Conti level, which I class as one. You know, World Tour, it, you know, it's you're. A, romantic you know the history you know it, it, it's changed chris it's it, it's a different it's a different animal yeah um so you know i can take it to a far higher level but i want to be at a point where i'm sitting drinking a cup of coffee and team car watching it as opposed to you know there are young people around it that know how to operate you know the level above and it, and it's their time what we are as, as custodians of the sport is is giving guidance on some really good qualities like loyalty, like giving you word, like giving opportunity, 
And do you know what? Ultimately, I think people buy into that yeah. with ourselves. You know, if they can see through the, the gloss or going to another team for the price of a jersey or maybe the wrong programme or whatever, then then long, long, long term, you know, we are gaining riders' trust. You know, for somebody like Gabs to, to say, you know, I want to ride with you and for you, you know, shows, you know, an element of respect that we're gaining within the sport. And then on top of that, then you've got other riders that maybe haven't been given an opportunity that were saying, yeah, fill your boots, come, you know, come, come and ride for us. And, you know, there'll be days when you have to do some stuff. But my primary thing is I want to see the white stuff. And that's the smile. Brilliant. When did you see a rider smiling, Chris? You know, yes, yes, it's, a brutal, it's a brutal sport. It it's is. a brutal sport. But you're also you're doing an education as well for them, for their life skills. Uh, I mean, not all of the riders will make it to the level perhaps they want to. But you, with by being in your team, you're showing them a way of living as well, aren't you? Yeah, we've got aspirations in and around that. So I've set up a feeder team, believe it or not. So as the quantity team go up, which they have, it's left a big void in behind the back. Yeah. We had a development team. It's essentially a club team. But I, I've just put in, um, it's called 0503. Different kit, different bikes, different partners. Uh, and they'll race at this kind of, you know, under 25, under 23 level, learning Nat B's doing the odd Nat A race within the UK. So we've set that up. We've got a women's platform that yes. um, they've got some exciting news coming up in, in the next couple of weeks, which, which you know, if you want to get um, probably not Jenny on board, but she runs it, but but, but certainly something like Meg Charts. And Meg is 23, ex-professional rider. Um, she's a UCI, you know, Conti uh, coach and manager now. She's got yeah. all her tickets. Yeah. So, you know, we're putting the same effort into the women yes. as we are the men, yeah. guaranteed. And and that's not often said in our sport either, is it? It's you know, no, it's no, it, it isn't. Uh, it isn't, and you you're ahead of the curve with that. So, anybody who's listening, one of our subscribers who's listening, how do they um, kind of can support you or buy some of your merchandise? Well, have you got a central uh, website? Very kindly. So it's it's a numbers game. If you pop onto the St Piran Pro Cycling website, obviously. Um, there's, there's something at the bottom. You can just subscribe to the newsletter. It's free. You get advanced news. That That's pretty cool. And then you've got all the, the, the social media channels as well. What we'll do, Chris, is we'll, we'll, we'll set up uh, on our website a page for yourself. Yeah. You know? Okay. We'll charge for that. <laughs> so we'll set up a page so that strengthens the relationship with the, with, with the podcast. And um, let's try and put all try and put our little bit into, into cycling. Okay, yeah, we we can talk about that. Um, thanks very much. I mean, I'm going to talk to some other people, which I'll mention when we stop recording this, uh, who are involved in the project. But thank you very much for giving your time to us. most important people in any team is the director of sport team and I'm, I'm now with St Piran's BS uh, new to the role because he was a St Piran rider last year and his name is Steve Lampier a Cornishman through and through welcome Steve hi Chris speaking to Falmer through the wonders of, of modern technology yeah it's amazing this got internet down here and everything <laughs> the first thing I want to ask you is, is the difference I mean 
you, you, you're right at the start of your first year as a director sportive. Uh, what does it feel like? Fixed emotions? Yeah. Racing? Now behind a car? Wheel? It's strange. So I've, I've been part of this St. Piran journey since the end of 2017 when I decided to step away from JLT Condor, John Herity's team. And from that moment, I left the team or decided to leave the team, which was the beginning of September 2017. Ricky Pascoe, the owner, he put a whole heap of pressure on me to build and run the team. And so I've been managing the team on the sports side of it since then. So race logistics, organizing staff that we needed for races. And, you know, all that behind the scenes stuff, which <clears throat> to be honest, I didn't really know kind of how much went into yeah. it. And then at, it was at an elite level and I was still racing at a, a pretty reasonable level. Um, 2018 had a reasonable year. 2019 had a good year, actually. Um, so much so that I was on, uh, I was asked to go to Ribble World Time for a season because the Tour of Britain was coming to Cornwall, was meant to come to Cornwall. So I I was on loan to them for a season, but we all know what happened in 2020. Mm-hmm. And the end of 2020, Ricky, myself, and Colin Bradbury, who's um, he's, he's more of the business side of stuff behind the scenes, we decided to fully go to be a continental team, and which was stress at the time yes. yeah. and then but once we was a continental team from last year until the beginning of this year the work you could combine the work and riding at elite level but as soon as you got to this level yeah. the level of behind the scenes work with UCI paperwork British yes. license paperwork and riding I just I couldn't cope with it yeah. you know mentally and physically I couldn't cope and also I have a young family so the only thing that was movable, although my wife will disagree with that because she thinks she was shunted a lot, was my training. So that took a back seat throughout yeah. 2021, which, yeah. But, the, but also the time was right to do it because you know, I'm 37 now. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I've realised those days of racing. You know, I'm not Malcolm Elliott, so I couldn't... <laughs> I think keep going on but there's also a um, more background to that as well I had um, quite a nasty accident in 2020 whilst yes. training yes and part way through 2021 I realized I wouldn't I, could, I couldn't get back to that shape yes. so instead of mentally dwelling on things I took to this new chapter which we're in now yeah it was planned out of Ricky and we decided to fully go for it. And, you know, it's for him, it's a big undertaking. You know, you can't, not many teams in the UK employ a sports director. You yeah. know, so it's for, you know, for Ricky, the money side, financial side of things, quite, you know, significant. But yeah, here we are. I mean, yeah, it's it's been a remarkable story. I've said to Ricky, I mean, he knows it. I, I, 20 years he's been, he's had this vision. And I think at times, Nobody else could see it with him, could they? Um, I know you could. You brought into it quite, uh, quite early on. But, I mean, 
it it has happened, and then it's not by magic, is it? He's, he's got he's got this thing really well organized. What what are your your logistics? I mean, you, how many staff have you actually got? How many staff permanent? You've got the riders. You've got you. You've got Ricky. Is there anybody else who's full time with this job? So we have obviously Ricky is the head honcho at the top of the pyramid, and then. Um, Myself, I get dragged into the commercial and the financial side of things a lot, which I don't mind, but it's it's above my pay grade. Ricky yeah. is a businessman through and through. At the end of the day, <clears throat> you know he owns, you know he's he's a director in two limited companies himself, so he knows the business side of things so well, and he's a very well connected person, especially in Cornwall and Southwest, yes. um, amongst the greater good of all these, you know the people that run Cornwall, so to speak, financially. Yeah. So I get dragged into that. But so we have work as myself as a um, sports director. Yeah. I have, um, I've actually recently employed a full-time mechanic. Right. Uh, because he was on a day rate and the amount of work he was doing on a day rate was spiraling out of control. Yeah. And he wanted security himself. And I would rather... Within the sport, as you know, you know, you know this, Chris, yourself, there's a lot of people who come and go. Yeah. And once you find someone who you really trust and believe yes. in, then you have to grab hold of those, those people. Yes. Our mechanic is one of those, uh, Richard Smith from Wales. Um, and then we have a guy called Colin Bradbury who uh, helps Ricky with the financial and commercial side of stuff. But he's... Um, He's invested into St. Period in his own ways. Yes. So he, he, he comes and goes more, you know, goes more than comes at the minute, but he's, you know, he's there in the background. He's, he's a, a, a pillar to this. Yeah. Yeah. Journey. And then also we have, it's not full-time staff, but we have, um, so on the sports side of things, we have Liam Hollihan as a performance director. Yes. Um, this is a role he's kind of carved out for himself, to be honest. He was the sports director last year because obviously I was racing and I couldn't do that side of things. So I searched around for people who I knew and trusted. And I've known Liam for a long time. I've never really seen, it's a bit bizarre. I haven't really seen eye to eye to him, but I haven't really spent that much time with him. So it's yes. a racing situation, you clap. But I could see from an outside what he was doing, yeah. and it was, and it seen of his riders who had really improved from the coaching side of things. So I thought that's someone we need to involve with us. And then through that, he's you know he oversees all the riders training, and bit by bit, he's kind of created this niche role within himself within the team, which we could capitalize on come race day. And I mean, we was in Calpe in Spain for three weeks and he came over for a week himself but he wrote out the whole training plan for the team oversaw the training we've written with him um we've written the riders race calendars down for the year well yeah year in um in pencil so to speak we reviewed after the nationals um so basically we can give riders specific um goals and aims um, linked in with their aims and ambitions, which is a document I've written, so we can get the most from the riders instead of this whole. I'm going off on tangent here now, Chris, but 
I got frustrated when I was a racer that you wouldn't have. I would sit down with my coach and I would say, I want, I want to try and win X, Y, Z in the season. And then if the team selected you, they selected you. you could, I got in a position within the teams I raced for that I could say, I want to aim for this, this, and this. And they facilitated that. But a lot of guys don't get that option. Yes. And then when we'd get to those, near those events, it was, other than the work I'd done with the coach, it depended on the whim of the sports director, but also it was very much let's throw eggs against the wall and see which ones don't break. Right. So we're going for more of a more of a strategic approach to who goes to what race, how right. they go to what race, you know, what we're aiming to achieve in those offsets victories, but you know, specific things within the race and I've and with Liam's training knowledge and then my logistical knowledge and the riders, then we've created this puzzle. <laughs> so, yes, no, no. Um, that's what the big team, that's what they do with the World Tour, isn't it? I know, I know yeah, yeah. Continental, there's always a lot of pressure to please a sponsor because the way you're funded is different. You've not got one sponsor to please, one big headline sponsor. And I think a lot, it, it does end up a lot of DS is saying, yes, let's let's go for everything. Yeah. Um, so we, the world. yeah, I mean, we've, um, taken that world tour, like Liam, I know a lot of people in the tour, I, um, you know, staff and riders, and we've taken that thinking and put it into this level. And, you know, we're not, I, I say it's time, time again to the riders when I had, a, I did a big presentation at the, the end of last year. We had a get together in Cornwall and, you know, which I think is really important for teams. We haven't had, we haven't had a chance to do a social thing for a long time because of what's been happening. And, yes. But in that um, in that weekend, and I sat down, I, I sat them down, and I had a presentation. I put out clear, precise goals: how we're going to achieve them, why we want to achieve them. We haven't got a headline sponsor, but we still have sponsors who want us to do certain things. Yes, and and then we and I, I said to them, look, we're not reinventing the wheel. We're just trying to do things differently for British teams. And yeah. I believe we're the only British team doing it in this. Yeah. Manner. yeah. What would you judge this year to be a success by? What's your, you know, what would you, what would you do in October and say, yeah, that worked. We did, we did well this year. Well, how would you judge that? Oh, well, it's we've only done one race already, so I can't. If I tell you, then it's kind of giving the game away. But oh, come on, um, I won't, I won't throw it back at you. Know me long enough. Yeah, yeah, but you listeners, I don't know. Um, <laughs> so um, I'm right. I'm, okay. Um, honestly, I put the list that I put down. I want to win three UCI series. I want to win two series overall. Which three? Three, yeah, three UCI races. Yes, the tour series overall because yeah. that the tour series came about at a time in the UK, which was big for the sport, but injected a lot of cash into the sport. Yeah, for various different reasons, it's not as big as it used to be but I believe it's still a mainstay of the British season. Yes. And without the tour series, I wouldn't be speaking to you now. So yeah. it needs that level of um, professionalism put into the sport. Yeah. And, and it's a cash cow. You know, you're on TV, eight days, eight yeah. pieces, you know. So I believe we've got a team that can go toe-to-toe with uh, with Sun God this year, yeah. um, the previous winners. And... I also um, I've put down I want to win a stage of the Tour of Britain. 
and I believe we've got riders who can do that. And we've put down a, a national championships victory, but that doesn't mean the road race. You know, we could, yeah. We've got riders doing all sorts of national champion events, so that would be my, I don't know, my platinum package. If they could win those races, then I'd be very happy. First sport director. That's 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 fantastic. What haven't you got that you think would make your job not not more fulfilling, but um, being able to a uh, um, make those targets more cast iron you know you could really almost ensure them is there anything you need now apart from cold hard cash yeah I think with cash you can we can get some extra staff so going back you know going back in a circle back to our staff we've got you know day rates one years yeah helpers um, and I think if we can get full-time helpers and then uh, one thing which i believe teams need these days um is is people to to pump out social media you know i used to do it for the team but it's too much to do I, I, I can't do everything and you we all teams need um you know people who can put out youtube videos social you know instagram facebook twitter update twitter feeds in the races because British cycling and and some of the European races, the, you you can't see what's happening. You can right. read, you can read various things on Twitter when the race is going on if someone's there doing it. And right. I think we the public to support British cycling, they need that instantaneous, yeah. you know, um, access to what's happening in the race. And also, I think where British cycling, not not British cycling, but cycling in britain at this level suffers is after the race say we're racing in the northeast somewhere i've got to drive all the way back to cornwall yeah so i can't do anything riders are going home and doing whatever there's there's like um radio silence from everyone yeah and i think if teams could have um someone to do media in the background sit in the car and edit a video and put something out yeah and then the next day the monday they could put something bigger out i think that's the way forward but that would be the, I think that would be the key for us especially at, and Ricky might have said the other day I don't, but we're on the cusp mm-hmm. where we need where we need 10 more staff to do 10 or 20 30 different jobs we need doing um, but we're not in the position to pay those people yet yeah. so we're in a strange place with stuff so you need more subscribers you need more uh, sponsors and yeah. uh, maybe get the message out to our subscribers as well. Right? Yeah. 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 Interested to support St. Piran. In, I think it is quite a unique team, isn't it? I mean, what does it feel like being part of this? It's, uh, you, you say sometimes you still get some funny looks, but, but it's, it's um, not funded in the same way as other teams, is it? No, it's very, it's unique. There's a unique funding structure. And it goes back to what I was, you know, and, and it's probably a phrase I've used with, probably heard Ricky saying it actually and it's kind of embedded in my mindset he's not reinventing the wheel and what he's trying to do with the team like I'm not with how we're going to set up the season but how we are trying to do things is so unique you know we don't display sponsorship on our jersey because if we if we have a sponsor on a jersey you sell your soul a little bit and 
we need continue. We need people and backers and sponsors who believe in the whole of the journey. Not, yes. you know, as you know, sponsors come and go. You know that it's happening, cycling all its life. But if you had, I don't know, it, I can't think of anything now. Like a bank sponsor you for a certain period of time. Well, no other bank is going to come in and put that money in, not unless no. you speak to the right people. And also, we. Um, we sell a lot of their kit, which creates a, a big revenue for us because yeah. it's plain kit. You can wear it. Um, the if we put on there, you know, a bike manufacturer, for example, yeah. Yeah, and we are sponsored by Lapierre. But if we put Lapierre on there, people that just love the kit to ride around on trek are not going to yes. buy their kit. Not going to buy the kit. So that's a, that's, a, that's a good sustainable thing. Because Ricky was talking about sustainability, so that's why you made that kit kit choice it's the uh, you're buying it for the style and the, and the, what it is well uh, steve um i hope to talk to you again throughout the season and then we'll be getting out and, and seeing you now i've spoke to ricky about doing some live things for the podcast and interviews with riders when we uh, when we get going so i wish you all the luck uh, in the world for this year do it for cornwall as they say here in yorkshire thank you thank you very much One piece of evidence of how Ricky Pasco is committed to sustainability with his team, St Piran, is the fact that he's appointed a performance director, which is a very rare thing. You'd find at a team at, uh, at Continental, UCI Continental level. Performance director is called Liam Hollihan. Uh, he's a former pro bike rider, and I'm with him now. Hello, Liam. Hello, Chris. Hi. So you, what, what's your job? Tell us what your job is with, with St Piran. So performance director, it's kind of uh, it, it kind of is what it says on the tin. Um, I'm looking at all things to do with performance. So it's it's quite broad. You know, it could be anything through to you know the technology side of things, yeah. Um, all the way through to kind of coaching and the rider's physiology. Mm-hmm. Uh, so looking to improve uh, the, the engine of the rider. Um, yeah. As I say, all through to the you know uh, technical aspects, uh, and as well like a bit of rider psychology too. Yeah, so you're, I mean, are you doing? Are you, you, do the riders work with their own coaches, and you you try to oversee that, uh, or do you do in-house testing? How do you how do you do your job? Both, really. Um, so I look after a number of the riders on the team uh, as their coach. Uh, and then, yes, the riders that work uh, outside of the team with a coach, um, it's kind of just having a point of contact with the coach. And I think this is something that's not really done at this level. where uh, The riders, are, riders and the coach are kind of left to their own devices and don't really have any contact with the team, which you know, I always found quite strange. So, you know, that's something we're looking to do differently uh St. Purim. Um and yes, my my role involves liaising with the external coaches just so that you know we're we're all on the same page and the riders in the team are, are both pulling in the same direction. Right. So one of the things that Steve Lampier, the director sportive, just told me is that you uh, very much focus on 
um, matching horses for courses, different riders will peak for different races. How do you, uh, I mean, that's got to be down to your, your job, hasn't it? How do you go about doing that? Yeah, it's a big part of what I do. Um, so first of all, we need to know what is required in the event. Yeah. So we break down the event and do something called an events demand analysis. Yes. Where we, you know, not only look at what's required physically, but also, you know, mentally, technically, uh, tactically, all these kind of things. Uh, we kind of do like a, a big um, mind map of that and right. work out, you know, what are the key areas that are required uh, for perf- a performance in this event. Yeah. And then from that, we have a database of all the riders, um, you know, that look at things. There's, there's quite a heavy, it's quite heavily weighted towards physiology. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we look at lots of different things there, like, yeah, I don't know, VO2 max or lactate threshold. Um, but it does include other things like, you know, the rider's technical ability, which would be, you know, very important in like a, a Northern European race. Um, mm-hmm. It's all well and good having a, a great engine, but if you can't get to the front of the bunch to use That's it, right. then it's yeah. it's no good to us. Um, so, yeah, from from that, we can kind of marry the two up and we can pick the team based on, you know, what what suits the event and compare it to our database and yeah, marry the two up so that we kind of have the right team for the right job. But broadly speaking, how do you get a, a rider to, to peak for a particular, how long does it take to be, say it's their big first big objective of the year? Uh, how long does it take and what phases do you go through? Uh, well, we, we could dive into this. It'll probably take up the, uh, the rest of your recording. It's, it's quite a, a complex thing. Um, kind of bridge basically, yeah, basically, yeah, basically it, it depends really. Um, it depends what the event requires. So, um, di- different aspects of the physiology. So, you know, I think as well with working in elite sport, there isn't kind of, it's not like you know, like Froomey, he's like got the tour uh, yeah. fixed in his calendar. Yeah. And everything's geared towards that. I think at this level, it's a lot more dynamic. Yes. And the riders have to go through like a multi a multi season peak. Yeah. So the riders training, well, certainly the riders I work with, is broken down into something called block periodization. Where if you think of like Chris Froome, if we use this analogy, him peaking for the Tour de France like that may start in November mm-hmm. his goal event would finish at the end of July so throughout there he's, his training is broken into different training cycles so if you think of that as you know a macro cycle mm-hmm. what we do is we take that macro cycle and just really like condense it yeah. um, into say you know I don't know maybe a, a four to eight week period during the season where we kind of touch on different aspects of the rider's physiology and break that down. So the rider would have like a multi-season peak where that whole year would be kind of like, like I say, broken down into, I don't know, four to 12 weeks, whatever it may be. And, And then kind of like repeated with each subsequent peak, hopefully being higher than the last one. Does that make sense? Yeah, so, so rather than a, a Chris Froome peaking for the Tour of France, you're you're doing a, a, a series of macrocycles where there's 
there's there's there's investment in the future and then a peak for that one race and then go back to the start again and each peak should should get a little bit higher and that's that's the way you have to work at your continental pro level isn't it it's the difference between you and the world tour um to a degree yes i i think kind of that method i spoke about the block periodization would be would be true for number of athletes in the world tour it's only kind of i think you know when you're really at the top of the food chain yeah um and you're kind of driven to that you know single goal that the linear periodization works um but i think even at the world tour most athletes have to be able to you know have that multi-season peak you know if you think to um like the classic guys you know they want to be good in the classics but then they've got to be good in the tour to help their leaders and then you know they might want to be good at the world championships you know that's another good example of a, the way that um, a world tour rider may break their season up and do you go do you go to the races how do you communicate with your riders i mean are you at the races are you seeing them regular or is it all a lot of zoom interviews like we're doing now a bit of both um so i was with the riders a couple of weeks ago at the training camp in calpe so i got to spend some time with them there face to face which is always good I, th- I think you get a lot more from the the athletes there um last year i was with them quite a bit because before steve took over in his role uh, that he's in now uh, he was obviously still racing last year uh, so i did a lot of the sports directing so i would see uh the races kind of week in week out at the events um but now with steve um taking over as director sportif um i think i will have more remote contact with the riders mm-hmm. um and then the ones i coach I, I speak to you know almost daily anyway um but they're they're spread out throughout the uk so most of that is through the, the choice of modern technology and you talked about sports psychology how, how tell us a little bit more about that and the, the role that takes uh, at your at the level of this team yeah, I think it's becoming a lot more researched and teams are certainly realizing the importance of it now. Um, I mean, I'm not a sports psychologist. It's it's part of my degree, but I'm not um, you know, qualified as a sports psychologist. But there's certainly things, you know, that you can take from that field and implement into the team. So... You know, one of the really big ones is confidence. So having the riders have confidence and having the riders have buy-in. Um, so, you know, be that, whether they be kind of a, a domestique, to use a cycling nomenclature, or uh, a team leader is having them all pull in the same direction and kind of minimize the role significance differences between, you know, domestic and team lead or sprinter so that there's clearly defined criteria for each role so that you know at the end of the day it's not you know if a rider crosses line um you know if we use the example of say like robin McCune, who never really had a lead out train you know or all his teammates that in the bar that night going oh yeah we did a great job as opposed to you know cav where the whole team's behind him and all do their job, but you know he might get boxed in in the last minute and he he may not get the result, but everyone else did you know a fantastic job they got him to where they needed to be, but that's bike racing at the end of the day yeah. um 
you know, we have a clearly defined role. So, you know, everyone can see whether they did a good job or not. And you feel part of that victory as well. So I think that's a couple of examples of where the, the psychology comes in. Making, making it very inclusive. Is there, a, is there a mindset of a professional cyclist? Is there a particular mindset that you need? I, think, I don't think there is, no. Um, I think there are archetypes where, again, you know, like a sprinter, you know, confident, uh, uh, aggressive to a degree, you know, very very much driven by the win, like an alpha male. But then for every, I don't know, say five of them, you know, there could be two that aren't. So, no, I don't think there really is, you know, a set personality type that you have to be Mm -hmm. to be, you know, successful in elite sport. I mean, there are some qualities that you, you know, you have to have, you know, such as, you know, hardworking and things like that. But no, I don't think there is a set personality type for being um, an elite sportsman. And, and how do you balance the different personalities? I mean, it, 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 every team can't all be a sunny picture of everybody getting on. Have you, have you experienced teams where people don't get on, but they're still quite effective together? Is that possible? Uh, I think in to a degree, yes. Um, I think they still can be successful. Um, you know, there's a, there's a famous equation in sports psychology. It's... Um, the potential of the team is the kind of uh, what is it? It's the potential of the team minus process losses that equals you know the performance of the team. Right. Um, so you know you could have some very talented individuals who don't really get on, but you know they still kind of produce the results because they are very talented individuals. Right. Um, but you know, are they performing optimally? Definitely not. Um, so I think you know one thing we look to do is you know, improve that equation. So improve the, any, any losses, process losses between the team that we may have, uh, just so that the one cohesive unit pulling in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just so it's one, you know, group of cohesive individuals all pulling in one direction, which kind of comes back to what I was saying about, you know, clearly defined roles. And, you know, we, we sit down at, we just sat down at the start of the year at the training camp and, you know, we're we're very clear with the riders of what is expected of them and kind of like where their opportunity for their result is and where they're kind of expected to help in in another role. Um, So I think it's just about having that, you know, role clarity and just ensuring that the riders are all pulling in the same direction. And what would when you get to the end of this season? How would your how would you judge your influence or effect on the team has been a success? As in me personally, or yeah, the success of the team? How would you, how would you judge that, that that you've been um, effective in 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 whatever outcome the team is? That's I think it's very yeah, it's very difficult to quantify because yeah. there's so many things that go into performance. Yeah, that. I don't think I, you know, you could put a number on it of like, you know, I contributed, you know, 10% to this or 20% to this. Uh, um, I mean, what we do have as a team is, you know, at the start of the year when we have all our meetings and things, you know, we very clearly have the goals of the team, what we want to achieve by the end of the year. Yeah. And then 
when we have the meetings with the riders, we have, you know, very, it, it, that's then kind of relayed to them and kind of their role in, in those annual goals for the team. Um, but yeah, in terms of how I would def- define my performances, yeah, it's, it's tricky. It's a good question. I, I, I don't really have an answer, I guess. What would satisfy? It would be all the riders to see them progress. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. To, to their to their potential. Um, that that would satisfy me, and that's that's very much a motivating factor for me. Right. Um, and is 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 one of the primary reasons I wanted to work in a a team like this is to help those young individuals, those young athletes, achieve their potential. That's something that is a huge motivator for me personally. Yeah. Is that something you felt there wasn't a person in your racing career that did that role for you? Did you feel that was something missing out of your racing career? Certainly within a team. Yes. Um, When when I, when I first started, um, you know, being a professional, I didn't really have that guiding hand. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, and it, you know, you were very much left to your own devices, and then you would see the director sportive for the races, and you would obviously interact with them there. And then, you know, you'd get on the plane and go back home, and that would be it. I wouldn't have any contact again until the next race. Um, the, the support I did get was through the help that I sourced for myself. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, working with my my former coach, uh, David Bailey, like I definitely got the support I needed from him, yeah. but that was something, you know, that I'd orchestrate myself. You know, I set out to kind of work with the the best person I could to help me develop. Um, but that was kind of, yeah, all organized through me. It was no, there was no contact between him and the teams I was with. It was very much, kind of two separate camps so yeah. you know again that was something we wanted to to bridge with the team well i can see then that, that you by em- employing you in this role uh richard pascoe has invested in his team and invested in and in a way it makes sense because your roles are what's going to ensure they get the most from the riders you're you able to reduce those process losses aren't you you're able to control that yeah that's what we we strive to do and you know help help each of the athletes develop to fulfil their potential. Thank you very much for, for being open. I'm sorry to put you on the spot as well, uh, open and honest, but um, it's, it's been provided a useful window uh, to the role of a performance director generally and, and into how essential it is, at, 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 certainly at continental level as well as world tour level. I mean, they, they do it at world tour level, but it's something that all teams, I think, at continental level should think of as well. Uh, thanks very much. Thanks for listening to this feature. We'll be following the progress of the St Purim Pro Cycling Team throughout 2022, with regular updates and interviews with riders and staff. For now, though, if you want to find out more, visit the team's excellent website, stpirinprocycling.com Pirin is spelt P-I-R-A-N just in case you don't know and finally I'd like to apologise if you heard the occasional peevish yip during this feature 
My dog Annie was in a particularly awkward mood and thought I was paying far too much attention to people on computer screens and not enough to her. Sorry. Bye for now.